If you uh, have your Bible, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3. That's the ninth book of the Old Testament after Ruth before Kings. 1 Samuel chapter 3. And as you turn there, let me give you a bit of the background on the story we're about to read. Eli is serving as high priest, ministering in a tent of meeting that God instructed Moses to build. His two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were also priests with, his, with their father. But they, the Bible tells us, were wicked men. They extorted meat from the people who brought sacrifices. They also had sex with the women who served at the entrance of the tent of meeting. The people of Israel repeatedly appealed to Eli, who rebuked his sons but would not discipline them. So God sent a prophet to warn Eli, and yet he did nothing. In the end, Hophni and Phinehas, who had no relationship with God, took the ark into battle against the Philistines, thinking it was like some good luck charm could automatically protect Israel. But God was not mocked. The two men, along with 30,000 Israelites, were killed, and the ark captured. When Eli heard this, the story tells us he fell off his seat, he broke his neck, and he died. This is not a happy parenting story. Um, but we enter the story toward its end after God sends his prophet to warn Eli Little Samuel is now an apprentice under the high priest who is going blind but still has done nothing to disciple his sons and discipline them. The Lord calls out to young Samuel at night. Samuel thinks Eli is calling, but after the third time that Samuel goes to Eli, Eli realizes it's the Lord and instructs the young boy. And, and that is where we pick up the story in verse 8 of 1 Samuel chapter 3. It says this, And the Lord called to Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, and he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and 
Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he taught you or told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would speak to us by your Spirit here through this story and the surrounding text, that you would pour out grace and encouragement to every parent through this. Through a warning, Lord, would you preserve us? Would you direct us? Would you help us? In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. When I first moved to Westchester and began to heat my house with wood, Jeff Clark introduced me to a nearby sawmill where you could buy a cord of cutoffs for firewood for 20 bucks. The mill operator cut curly maple logs with a giant bandsaw to slice them into boards. From there, the rough-cut boards were shipped to guitar manufacturers, and we would purchase the leftovers. But the saw used to cut the logs was ominous. It stood more than 10 feet in the air. A giant loop of steel that formed the blade held teeth like that of a great white shark. I remember the day the owner of the mill gave us a demonstration of the saw's power. With a push of a button, the band of steel began to whirl, spin at a high pitch. I took a step back, fearful of the blade. I remember saying to Jeff, that's a holy saw, like nothing I had ever witnessed before in my life. The carriage which sat along the saw lifted a thousand-pound log and ran it through the mill, which sliced the log like a hot knife through butter. The mill transformed old logs. On the outside, they were twisted and gnarly, but once through the mill, inside these logs were highly figured, gorgeous tiger-striped grain refracted light. Just one slice of one of those logs was worth more than $1,000. But there was one thing that was evident that day, don't disregard the saw blade. You know, I had the same reaction when I read through Eli's story for the first time. The prophet rightly said, the two ears of everyone who hears this story will tingle. I was a brand new father of twins. After reading through the first few chapters of Samuel, I took a step back, a fearful step, as I considered parenting and the consequences that came to Eli. What was Eli supposed to do, I thought? He warned his sons, but God held him responsible. But now looking back, I'm better able to see Eli's failures. And I want to point them out so that we all can avoid making the same mistakes that he made. In parenting, we begin with some pretty gnarly material. Each of our children are born sinners, and it doesn't take long to discover they're full of flaws. As we 
partnering with the Holy Spirit, guide our kids to Christ through the gospel. He does the work to transform them and change their hearts. Like the logs that are transformed into guitars that play beautiful music, so we pray that our children, the ones that we disciple, will one day lift their voices in praise, joining us in worship of our King. Now, if you're single or your kids are grown, I don't want you to check out of this message. There's something important for you because we parent not just as parents, but as a community. You're there to help parents, to pray for them, to encourage them, to know where they're going and what they're up against. So, this message is for all of us. There are four things that I'd like to point out, four mistakes that Eli made And we'll go through this text and take a look at them. First, it says, Eli honored his sons above God. Now, for that, let's take a look back at chapter 2 and in verse 27. This is the prophetic warning that came to Eli. It says, And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt? Subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I have commanded for my dwelling? And honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. Why do you honor your sons above me? Eli honored his sons above God. What was he thinking? Eli was the high priest. He was the man in charge of temple worship. His sons were demanding meat by force. He was joining them in eating the meat and the fat they stole from the people. They demanded raw meat that contained and the fat portions. They, the Bible tells us, belong to the Lord. So Eli knew what they were doing by virtue of what he was eating with them. And he disregarded God's law and direction. Folks, It is easy to honor our children above the Lord. You know, it starts out small. They disobey and scream for what they want, and we give it to them. It's easier to give them what they want rather than correct them. They don't want to go to bed? Okay, let them stay up. Mom asks them to do something. They shout back a disrespectful no, and us dads, we stand back perplexed, not knowing what to do, but rather than hold our grade school son or daughter, to God's standard, will whisper something to our wife. Just just let them play a little longer. Let's not get him upset. You know how he gets. We honor our children's disobedience with tolerance instead of discipline and instruction of the Lord. You see, God told us, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your father and mother. Those are standards that God is asking us to hold. We honor our children's obedience sometimes with tolerance, don't we? 
Folks, it got so bad in Eli's house that he's eating the fat and roasted meat that his sons stole from the offering. If we honor our children above the Lord and allow them to lead us instead, instead of disciplining them, we set up a backwards pattern that can carry on into the teen years. There, the stakes increase. They refuse to come to church, join the family for devotions, respect any curfew, and do the opposite of what you ask or what God says. Now, as parents, let's just be real. We all drift into this pattern, this sinful pattern at times. But if you're realizing there are elements in your home where your children are controlling your home, where they are the center and they demand honor, and at times you give it to them, then come to our parenting class, Parenting in Today's World, where we can share ways to help you keep God and His Word at the center of your home. So Eli's first mistake was that he honored his sons above God. Secondly, Eli neglected discipline. Faithful parents know that loving discipline is a command of the Lord. God warned Eli through the prophet, but still Eli refused to discipline his sons. They should not have been allowed to continue as priests. He should have done something about that. What did God say to Eli? Look at God's judgment over Eli in chapter 3, verse 13. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Eli rejected disciplining his sons. In commenting on Eli's failures, Richard Phillips writes, We can easily imagine that this pattern had characterized Eli's parenting all through his son's upbringing. His first error was in failing to supervise their priestly service. The result was that instead of intervening and correcting his sons on the spot, Eli merely came to them later to discuss what he had heard. His second and greater error was that his rebuke did not lead to immediate punishment. The failure to discipline our children is the surest way of ruining their souls. So, so why? Why do we as parents sometimes shy away from discipline? Well, some of us have had a bad experience growing up, or we've seen parents discipline their children in anger. And the result is that we can falsely associate discipline with anger and withholding discipline as love. But that's not what the Scripture teaches. Eli was not loving his sons by allowing them to continue in their sin. Folks, don't allow a past experience, an ungodly experience, to keep you from following God's loving command. Just as one man's cruelty toward a woman doesn't mean all men are cruel, so one parent's harsh discipline does not mean that all discipline is harsh. 
Sam Crabtree, in his book, Parenting with Loving Correction, the book that we're giving away, says this, when we worry that our child will perceive our corrective discipline as unloving, we forget God's higher wisdom about genuine love. He tells us, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. When we refrain from correction, do we subconsciously think that we are wiser than God? When it comes to correcting our children, um, the culture around us has vilified words like authority, fear, and discipline. They say it is bad for your children to be afraid of being disciplined. But the Scriptures are clear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What keeps you safe from a speeding crash on the highway? Well, you're afraid of getting a speeding ticket. That isn't abuse, that's love. The police are caring for you by holding you accountable. And how does your behavior change after you get a speeding ticket? You slow down. Discipline is simply the consequence we impose on our children when they disobey. That can be done in love or anger. Discipline can be just or unjust. It would have been a just and loving discipline for Eli to say to his sons, you are no longer priests and strip them of their duties. A a friend of ours worked in a local institution caring for special needs kids. One boy loved soda, but if he didn't get what he wanted, he would throw the can at staff members. Our friend would simply tell him, if you throw your soda, you lose your soda. After enforcing that discipline several times, He rarely threw his soda while she was there caring for him. Joyful meals flowed from the obedience forged by imposing that consequence. But in recent years, she was told, you cannot withhold soda from a resident, even if he throws it at you. If you do, it will be considered abuse and you will be terminated. The philosophy that a punitive consequence of any kind is abuse, has become more popular today, even if that consequence is best for the child's welfare. God commands children in Scripture. Children, obey your parents. So we see authority is not a sin. Authority is not a bad word in parenting. Obedience is a biblical mandate. The very basis of that command is about authority from God delegated to us as parents. Bottom line, God has ordained a chain of command in the family. Parents are given charge over their kids, not the other way around. Paul Tripp writes, establishing authority early in little things is doing gospel work. Fight your authority battles early, he recommends. Fight them when the issues are small. Capitalize on the little moments God will give you when your children are still young. You do not want to be fighting authority battles with a 17-year-old. It is so much easier. Parents who have been through the teen years and reflect back on what they could have done differently on the younger years would all tell you 
oh, discipline your children while they are young. But our, ch- our culture tells us that we should not impose discipline consequences. Just allow the natural consequences to come in to train your children. Folks, that's not a philosophy coming from Scripture. That's the philosophy that Eli followed. The natural consequence of Hophni and Phinehas, the one that they discovered when they treated the ark finally like some talisman of good luck, was death. The whole loving goal of parenting is just the opposite, abundant, loving, eternal life. The warnings of Scripture, like the word the prophet spoke to Eli, warn us as parents to not neglect the faithful, loving discipline of our children. And we see this in both the Old and New Testaments. In Proverbs, it tells us, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. When the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will look upon their downfall. Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. The New Testament confirms this important and regularity of parental discipline. Hebrews says, if you, do, if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Speaking about our relationship with God, then giving the illustration of parenting, moreover, we have all had human fathers, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. If you're not consistent in the discipline of your children, if you're unsure about what the Bible says about discipline, or you are fearful of applying biblical discipline because you think you might alienate your child, then come to our parenting class. We'd love to talk with you. So what do we learn so far? Eli honored his sons above God. Eli neglected discipline And and the third thing is Eli disregarded the counsel of the community around him. Faithful parents parent in community. Eli tried to parent alone and disregarded the community of faith. Look what it says in chapter 2, verse 22. Now, Eli was very old And he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel. He kept hearing. You get the impression that folks around Eli were persistent and confronted him with regard to his sons. Clearly, Eli was not hearing their encouragements. Parenting is difficult. We are not meant to parent alone. We have this wonderful community of faith all around us. But our pride wars against parenting community, parenting in community. You know what we're tempted to say? I've got this. I have my own parenting philosophy. Uh, I'm not going to do what my parents did. I I see the flaws in that, so I've got this kind of figured out. I've got my own way of doing things. Let's not create our own parenting philosophy. Let's search the Scripture to learn what God has to say. Other important components like behavior science, sociology, diet, they all nicely draft behind the truth of Scripture, not instead of it. Be careful. Far better to seek out help and counsel. 
Draw out your own parents and ask them what you should be doing differently. Ask, how do you think I'm doing in disciplining my kids to those around you? Ask more experienced parents how they handle the challenges that you now face. I can remember getting the sobering call that one of my kids had been arrested. It's a time of crisis like that where your self-sufficient parenting philosophy comes crumbling to the ground. I didn't know what to do. What did I do? I called Andy Farmer. Folks, I would not have made it through the parenting years if I tried to do it alone. My children are all serving the Lord today by the grace of God, obedience to His Word, and the help of this church, the prayers of the saints, and the counsel of the parents who have gone before me. When people came up to me and said, do you know what your kid is doing? I welcomed them in, gave them a seat, and said, please, offer me all the advice you have. I need it badly. It's one of the best things I did was parent in community. I told them, I can't do this alone. We all need the help of this community around us. Don't parent like an island and think that you've got the lock on how it's done. The parenting class this summer will involve instruction, discussion, questions and answers for that day-long seminar, and then we're going to invite everyone who participates in that seminar to join a book study to follow the next six months. Um, children or parents with younger children will read and discuss Parenting with Loving Correction by Sam Crabtree, and parents of older children will read and discuss Age of Opportunity by Paul Tripp. The goal is to study the Scripture, to mine its wisdom, and to learn from one another. Folks, let's learn to distrust any self-generated parenting philosophy and instead draw our parenting direction from Scripture, learn from those who have gone before us, and parent within this community of faith, helping one another. Eli didn't do that. He rejected the counsel that was coming his way. So we see Eli honored his sons above God, he neglected discipline, he disregarded the counsel of the community around him, and as a result, lastly, and most seriously, Eli missed the mercy and grace of God. Faithful parents looked to Jesus in their trial. Eli missed the promise embedded in the prophetic warning that he received. He didn't repent of his negligence, nor did he call to the Lord for help when he heard these words from chapter 2, verse 34. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be a sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day, and I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. Still, Eli did not repent. We don't read. So Eli put on sackcloth and ashes, 
removed his sons from service at the tent of meeting, confessed his failure in a psalm before the people, and cried out to the Lord for mercy. Had we heard that? I think what we would have seen next is so the Lord relented. But Eli missed God's mercy and grace afforded to him. He did not repent. Who is the faithful priest who will serve in God's house forever? It's not Eli. God took his life. Samuel the prophet over the duties of the priest. He interceded on Israel's behalf. He offered sacrifices for the people, and he anointed both Saul and David. He was faithful. He died. He didn't go on forever. Jesus. Jesus is the faithful priest who will serve in that office forever. Jesus offered the final and lasting sacrifice. He alone is the one who saves us from the curse of sin. Eli missed the grace of God that would have been afforded to him if he had only turned to God in the midst of his parenting failure and began to trust in his plan. Instead, there's a horrible epitaph over his life and family in 1 Samuel 3, verses 13 and 14. I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. These are not the words that any of us once spoken of our family. Folks, the stakes could not be higher. Parenting is a difficult task, but the Lord is there to help us. He's given us His Word, which supplies the pattern we need to parent our kids and the grace of the gospel to introduce them to Jesus, the faithful high priest that Eli was pointed to. Matthew Henry writes, in the midst of the sentence against the house of Eli, mercy is promised to Israel. God's work shall never fall to the ground for want of hands to carry it on. Christ is that merciful and faithful high priest whom God raised up when the Levitical priesthood was thrown off, who in all things did his father's mind, and for whom God will build a sure house, build it on a rock, so that hell cannot prevail against us. The writer of Hebrews tells us about this faithful high priest, that Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Folks, if you find yourself discouraged in parenting, or doubting God's faithfulness to change your son and daughter, come to the parenting class and allow us to point you back to Jesus, our faithful high priest. Your faith will be strengthened, and your hope will be restored in parenting as we will show you how to maintain a God-centered home, how to exercise loving biblical discipline, teach you how to parent in community, and help you keep your eyes focused on Jesus the author and perfecter of your faith, and point your children to Him. The task of parenting, like the whirring blade of the sawmill, is a scary proposition. But the rough logs of our children set upon the carriage of God's Word 
run through the mill of the Spirit's conviction, guided by the Lord's gospel grace, can produce the most beautiful instrument of praise, a generation that worships and serves the Lord long after we're gone. The words of the Apostle John are so true. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. God, let it be for everyone here that they don't reject your word, they follow your word, they look to Jesus, and they see their children after they are grown in the pews, standing with them, in the seats alongside of them, worshiping their God. Amen.